Thank you for listening to this message from Flow Church, a brand new church plant in the city of Melbourne, Australia. We pray that this word will help you experience and express the goodness of God in every sphere and season of life. So Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been studying as a church the book of Luke. Um, And Luke is one of the gospels that kind of covers the life of Jesus. But one of the interesting about the author Luke um, is that he felt that the story of Jesus was not complete without talking about the story of the church. And so he wrote a second volume called the book of Acts, which really focused in um, on the life of the church. And the really interesting thing, and I think it's a really apt time for us as a church, um, now that we're moved into a brand new space, as we're stepping into this new season, to just revisit, um, you know, the question of what kind of church do we want to be? You know, what's the kind of church um, that we want to, to embody and to, to reflect out into the world? Um, and, you know, for those who have been coming for a little while, you will have heard me um, teach that the word church originally was not a religious term. When Jesus used the word church, he actually used a political term. In the original Greek, it was the word ecclesia. And what an ecclesia was, was a local um, democratic assembly um, in Greek city-states. And they were made up of citizens who were male. They made decisions over laws. They made decisions over who get to be judges and officials. And that might not seem like really... um, you know, unusual to us now, but let's remember that 2000 years ago, everyone had a king and a queen. Like everyone, there was like monarchies everywhere, like a democratic assembly like that, that was local to a particular place was quite an unusual thing. And so when Jesus says, I will build my church and the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's right now we hear a religious term, but back then there would be this valence of like, I will build my parliament and the very gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so when we look at this particular understanding of the word ecclesia, there's a few things that we already can pick up. One, um, that this is supposed to be a local body, right? So we talk about the universal church, um, but there's all these local assemblies in all these city-states. They were local to the particular region. And because for the longest time, I was trying to figure out why is there like the universal church, the local church, is the local church even a thing? And I think the easiest way to think about it is just like how Australia has a federal parliament. We also have state parliaments. And so there is the global expression of the church, but there's also a local expression um, of the church. The other thing that we learn from just the word ecclesia um, is that it is um, a participatory body. You know, it's not about people just watching um, and some people are doing stuff. Actually, we all get to participate in that particular process. And the interesting thing as well is that the ecclesia met just about every single week. 
And so when Jesus used that term, it just jived really nicely with the Jewish practice of going to synagogue every single Sabbath. So we see that the ecclesia is local, it is regular, and it is participatory. Um, but it's also very important that we don't push the analogy too far. Um, it is possible for us to take it too far um, and 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 start having an ecclesia that looks more like Greece than what than it looks like God. You see, another political term that we don't necessarily think as a political term that shows up in scripture all the time is kingdom language. There's king and kingdom language all throughout scripture, but we understand that God's understanding of kingdom is very different from the world's understanding of kingdom. And so likewise, God's understanding of the ecclesia can be very different and should be very different from what the world understands ecclesia to be. And so for us as a local church, as a local ecclesia, we should take our cues from scripture. And I think there's no better place than to look at the book of Acts, which is kind of like the prototype and, and kind of sets off the blueprint and the principles of what I believe churches throughout history and all around the world should, should have. And so it's not necessarily the specifics, but the principles that we want to embody in this day and age. And so there's a couple of, of things that I've already said and, um, you know, throughout, and, and I, I hope that this gets into our languages. First and foremost, um, ecclesias are there and we are here to worship God. That's the number one thing. The reason why we gather, the reason why we assemble, the first thing is that we are here to worship God. We see in Acts 2, if you can get the scripture up again, if we see in Acts 2, it talks about how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It talks about how they're devoted to prayer and to praising God. So that's a very, very important part. And I would say that that's the most important part, first and foremost, of us gathering together is that we're here to actually worship and encounter God. Um, you know, it's often said, actually not often enough, actually, not anymore, but there would be very, the, the, the one of the few things that we would do as we go into the next age is worship. Worship is one of the few things. There probably would be no more preaching, but who knows? You know, forever is a long time, so who knows? Um, but one of the things that we will be doing into eternity is worshiping God. And there's something powerful about when we gather and worship. I think we've already sensed that there's something powerful when we choose to make the step to come together to worship God. You know, Psalms 22 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. You know, Isaiah 40 tells us that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Um, and James 4 talks about how if we draw near to God, that God will draw near to us. And you look throughout scripture, there's this dance of like God pursuing us and us pursuing God and God pursuing us. It's not just one way, it's actually both. And um, one of the most beautiful like parables that came together, it talks about how the kingdom of God um, is like a merchant looking for treasure and how the kingdom of God is like the treasure that people look for. So there's this dynamic of, we pursue the kingdom and the kingdom pursues us, right? And I really hope that our church, a lot of, a lot of churches hope to have, and, 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 and we would want to aspire to that too, right? To have incredible worship, incredible preaching. But the most important thing is, I think we want to be a church that has great worshipers. It doesn't matter how great the band is. It doesn't matter how great the production value and all that kind of stuff. The most important thing is that, are we able to worship regardless of the circumstance and regardless of the conditions. 
one of the things that really helped me understand that God shows up for those who make room for him is the story of Jesus um, coming to planet earth in the manger, right? Like he didn't show up in a temple. He didn't show up in the, in like in palaces. He showed up in a stable and it probably wasn't even a built um, construct. It probably was just a cave um, back in those times. And so like, if your life feels not great, that's cool because Jesus showed up for not great. Jesus showed up for not great when people actually just made space for him. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be a church that makes space for God. And we show what we value in two ways. The best way, and this is going to trigger a lot because I, I get triggered. I write the sermon and I trigger myself. <laughs> this is how we know what we value, all right? We know what we value when we look at our schedules and when we look at our bank statements. We know what we value when we look at our schedules and when we look at our bank statements. Um, usually I'm dressed head to toe Uniqlo all the way, <laughs> all the way. And they're just always having discounts. The emails, the emails come through. I value Uniqlo. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say like, you know, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> and, and also the regularity is actually kind of embarrassing as well. Um, but, but that's that's why that's why tithing is such an important practice you know it's not so much about yes we're trying to support stuff but it's also that it shows what our value is in you know and um sometimes yes it's it, it moves one way um in the direction of like we give to what we value but it also works the other way where we value what we give you know like taxes we don't have a choice of whether we pay our taxes or not we give but now we have an opinion about what our taxes go to. Why? Because suddenly our, uh, we get this, we, it changes. Like even the way we give, it actually, we, it gives value um, 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 to it. And we find that with so many different things and circumstances that, yeah, we, we, have, we feel invested. Um, and, and, and we start valuing the things that we actually devote ourselves to. And so that's the kind of church that we want to be first and foremost. We want to be a church that devotes itself to the apostles' teaching, that devotes itself to prayer, that devotes itself to praising God. Um, and so that's number one. We want to be a community that worships God. But the second thing is that we want to be a community that breaks bread. So this comes up a lot. This actually comes up surprisingly a lot in this passage. And in any time in scripture where there's repetition, it is a significant thing. And so it talks about fellowship. It talks a lot about breaking bread twice. Um, it talks about um, um, that they were together multiple times um, in this particular passage. And so we understand that being part of an ecclesia um, back in the day, that community is really, really important. And I would argue that that communal aspect of being a in part of a church community is even more important today. Um, I think one of the reasons why people come, to be honest, like last year was a crazy year. There's so much to do. And so often the last thing that I was thinking about was like the sermon prep because it's like, oh man, I got to figure out everything. And I was like, wow, people are still coming. And I'm like, it's definitely not the preaching. I know, I'm like, it's definitely not preaching. And I'm like, I think people come is because we, we, we actually eat together because we break bread together. Um, for a lot of us who come from like ethnic backgrounds, eating is like a really important 
like thing that we do as in terms of community. I mean, a lot of ethnic churches, we have a practice of breaking bread together, but not necessarily a theology of breaking bread together. The people who have a theology of breaking bread together are Jews and Muslims. Because Jews have to eat kosher, Muslims have to eat halal. It's a spiritual practice. They understand that, right? But when we... Um, became Christians, or we, we often see, we often think that Jesus did away with the food laws. But what we need to understand is that Jesus actually transformed the food laws, right? He transformed the food laws because if we look at what our scripture tells us, original sin was a food sin. It was an act of consumption. And some of us still consuming. <laughs> some of us are still sitting to this day. <laughs> we might have to ask for grace and forgiveness after. Actually, maybe that's why we say grace before a meal. Lord, forgive us for the meal that we are about to partake. Like, don't bless it, Lord. Just forgive us <laughs> for the meal that we are about to partake together. Um, but we, the sacrament that we partake together is a food sacrament, is an act of consumption. And one of the things that got Jesus into a lot of trouble wasn't the sermons that he preached, but the meals that he chose to have with people, the people that he invited to his table. And so we thought, oh, Jesus got rid of the food laws. Now we can have bacon. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But no, Jesus was extending the table. That was the point. He was extending the table. And um, there is a real like, and, and one of the, 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 um, one of the miracles, the only miracle that took place in all four of the Gospels was the feeding of the 5,000, the five loaves and the two fishes. In normal church services, we would be like the disciples. The church service is the service. It's the main thing. The preaching is the main thing and we dismiss everyone and everyone goes home. But Jesus says, no, stay and you feed them. You feed them. And we would often think that the miracle was going to happen during the preaching and during the message, but the miracle happened during the feeding, during the eating. That was where the miracle actually took place. And so what we're trying to do as a church is something quite radical, is to recover the notion that eating together is a spiritual practice, that it is something sacred. And so because we value it, it shows up in our budget as a line item. Um, and also we bought a rice cooker before we got a pulpit or a projector. <laughs> okay, <laughs> because rice is life. Um, and I think that's just like so much interesting stuff about it because even secular people start recognizing the power of um, families sharing, to, um, eating together, um, being together. Research in Oxford, um, Oxford has shown that communal eating increases social bonding and feelings of well-being and it enhances one's sense of contentedness and embeddedness within a community. Um, the Journal of American Medical Association and um, studies in Canada also shows that frequent family dinners can prevent issues with eating disorders, alcohol and substance abuse, violent behavior, depression, and suicidal thoughts in adolescents, and that eating together a lot um, can raise people's self-esteem and then kids improve their levels of communication. If there was a generation that hardly eats together anymore, it is our generation. And I believe that this is one of the reasons why we are having the mental health crises that we have more than ever before. It is amazing that we get to travel and live 
in places like my, you know, like I, when I think about my grandparents again, I'm like, they would never imagine traveling every year as an option, right? Like if you want to study overseas, it's a one-way ticket, you go there and then you come. Like, it's such a crazy thing that we get to do that. And that's awesome. I don't want to go back to where I don't get to travel, right? But part of that challenge is that that means loneliness is more of an issue, you know, like, like, like coming to a brand new city and feeling like you've got to start all over again and build new relationships all over again is an issue. And if the entire church experience is just coming in to be in a crowd, to, to do worship and all that, which is great, that gets tired very soon. But how many places can you have where you're like, people recognize you, ask you how your week is, feed you, you know? Um, and, and that's the kind of church that we want to be because we recognize eating as um, a spiritual practice. I'm going to read a little bit um, because I, I want to get this right. Um, Arthur C. Brooks is a Harvard professor and a social scientist, but he's also a very devout follower of Jesus. And he talks about like um, the importance of like being together and how that affects um, this um, hormone called oxytocin. Clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but just talking about how the interaction between um, oxytocin and, and fear, which happens in the amygdala. So there's many, um, what do you call it, medical people in the room. Feel free to correct me after the service. So I'm just going to read um, this. However, we have a natural modulator of the hyperactive amygdala. So the hyperactive amygdala causes fear. Um, the neuropeptide oxytocin, sometimes calls, called the love molecule. Oxytocin is often produced in the brain in response to eye contact and touch, especially between loved ones. The feeling it creates is intensely pleasurable. Indeed, life would be unbearable without it. There is evidence that an oxytocin deficit is one reason for the increase in depression during the coronavirus pandemic with its lockdowns and social distancing. Oxytocin has also been found to reduce anxiety and stress by inhibiting the response of the amygdala to outside stimuli. If you have loving contact with others, the outside world will seem less scary and threatening to you. What St. John asserted is literally true. Perfect love drives out fear. I'm going to read that line again. If you have loving contact with others, the outside world will seem less scary and threatening to you. What St. John asserted is literally true. Perfect love drives out fear. Our current fear problem is not due to a proliferation of threats. Despite all the troubles we face, as my Harvard colleague Steven Pinker has shown, the world of the 21st century is safer for the vast majority of us than the world of previous eras, current pandemic aside. The real issue is that we have too little love in our lives to protect us against our fears. Isn't that just crazy that the way God created us to connect together requires us to be together, like to be in person? Like one of the, the reasons why they, they suspect that the younger generation is actually having more mental health issues is because screen time is not a substitute for in-person time. And so it has, a, it has the form of relationship, right? We talk about parasocial relationships. It has the form of connection, but it's actually not real. And it actually doesn't 
doesn't um, cause the wholeness to, to happen. And so for us as a church, we are committed to doing things online. I am not going back. I think there's so many amazing opportunities that are there. But I also believe that there is value in us showing together. And that's something that I think a lot of pastors and a lot of churches understand intuitively. Um, but I think we need to learn to articulate it to people because people will show up when they can see value. I don't think people just choose not to be at things, but people will show up if they can see value. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. We don't want to guilt people into coming. We don't want to force people in coming. We want to make it worth your while when you get here so that you're not just sitting here and watching a screen and then no one talks to you. We're like, we're going to feed you. So show up. But we also want to be a church that understands, whoa, God did something in our Physi physiology that affects us at a spiritual and an emotional level as well. And so even, that's why I say anything worth doing is worth doing well, but anything worth doing is worth doing badly, right? A bad workout is better than no workout. Brushing your teeth in 10 seconds is better than not brushing your teeth at all. And sometimes there will be times when life is tough for whatever reason, show up late. I've said this before as well. I come from a high conflict family. So, so we are the family that will be fighting all the way to church and church. Like, it's like all that, but we will get to church. We will get to church. And so come, come however you can, because it makes, it makes a difference. Um, and it's just interesting that even the world recognizes it. And even the world is preaching what God is telling us to do is that the importance of gathering together. And so, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So that's the vertical, that's us worshiping God. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, and another thought that just came to me, we might think that we're busy today, but these verses was written to people who lived a subsistence lifestyle. These verses was written to some people who were, some of them were slaves. Some of them had like 10 kids. I mean, like, you know, like we, we all like not too distant past. There's like multiple kids without kids care, without iPads, without anything. And there are many good reasons not to come, but let us not get into a habit of not meeting together because there's all these um, benefits. And I guarantee you, People will shop for preaching for a little while, but in recent times, we don't have to name names, but we know preaching is not going to keep people. People will stay for family though. People will stay for, for community. And I can't do that. We have to do this um, together. I think I'll play the video now. Let's play that. We'll play that video because I want to give you guys a vision of what I hope our church is able to do every single time we gather. Don't register. <laughs> I mean, not don't register, but you know, that's enough. But okay, so I I have like I have been going to that place like every single year. And and I come from I come from Singapore. Family is still in Singapore. Along the way, I realize that that household every year is the closest thing I have to like a Christmas or a Chinese New Year. Every single year I get there and I see the same people. We catch up. And I've had such spiritual, in incredible, like God encounters, literally just breaking bread with people and eating with, 
eating with people. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. A lot of people go for slick. I don't want slick, but I want thoughtful. You know what I'm saying? That's not slick, but you feel the love. You feel the warmth. People can come and reject your sermon, but why would they, they'll be like, why would you care? So what they do, which is even more amazing than what the story is like, they would take leave from that one week in work. Um, and Rajan would um, wake up earlier because there would be volunteers that come early in the morning. He would wake up earlier than the volunteers to make breakfast. He would put food out so that people can make sandwiches so that they can take with them as they go um, to conference. And then they'll go and attend. And then they'll come back in the middle of the day to clean up the house, take a bit of a nap, go back for the night session, run out during worship to come back to get dinner ready. And it's an open invite for people to come. Anyone is able to come. And they never ran out of food. They just never run out of food. It's like, it's, it's like we're going to run out. And it never runs out. I don't understand. I do not have that anointing. I, I run out all the time. I, I don't know. But that is that is a that is a beautiful and a and a very very powerful thing um and that is as much a spiritual practice as worship and and, and preaching god's word and that's the kind of church that we want to be and that's the kind of thing that we cannot do just a few of us that needs all of us to to to, to pitch in and the final thing is that we want to be a church that lives on mission so it talks um, in, one of the, in one of the verses, it says that they sold everything and gave to everyone who is in need, right? Um, and that's what we're called to do. The ecclesia, um, which is that, that democratic body, they, the word that they do is they're there to like serve the community. They're there to like make laws and, and things like that to actually help the community around them. That's where we get the word service from. Like literally what we call service in the Greek is letogia. And the Latin actually is liturgia. And that's where we get the word liturgy, liturgical. It's the same word that they use for, for service. And so we're actually called to serve God, but also to serve, you know, other people around us. And I really do believe that God has called us as a community to do a lot of things. One of the, one, one of the reasons why we wanted to be here is because we want to be close to the universities. We believe that God has called us to make an impact um, on the universities. And that's something that, that takes intention so I'm not trying to call out the Anglican church because I'm happy or whatever, because I'm not. But in the last two census, so it was pretty crazy. I looked at the census data in 2016 to 2021. They lost 600,000 people um, in their church. And before that, from 2011 to 2016, they lost another 600,000 people. 1.2 million people. So they're the second largest denomination still within the country, but one point, like the, the drop was like 40% or something really crazy from 3.1 million to 2.6. Um, and it was wild. And one of the big reasons for it is that their average age, like more than 50% of their population is over the age of 50. And so, like there's a there's gonna be a couple of factors one if there's a lot of old people you're like mm, don't want to be at this party <laughs> you know um <laughs> have you ever gone it's like ooh, too many old people and you're just like <laughs> peace out <laughs> you know <laughs> let's see let's see what's online <laughs> what's available so there needs to be like an an, an an intentionality but we're also seeing just in general that basically from millennials down, they are more non-Christians than they are Christians. Um, um, and, and that number is increasing. And 
we don't look at that with any fear or concern, but we look at that with intention. And that's why we're positioning ourselves in this place is because we believe that God is able to turn the tide around, but that's not just going to happen. You know, if we don't, if we don't decide that that's something that we want to do, these are people that God loves um, and that God wants to encounter. Another group of people that we hope to one day like minister to are people who work weekends, right? There's so many people who work Fridays to Sundays, the majority of their work happens on those times. And it's one thing to tell Christians to be like, oh, take time out and come to church on a Sunday. But if you're not a Christian, why would you? Why would you when you can get weekend rates? Why would you? And so instead of saying to people, you are welcome, we also want to be a community to say that this was made with you in mind. There's a difference. Everyone is welcome to fly first class, but not everyone is able to. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no discrimination policy, but it wasn't made easy for people to come. We don't want to just be a church that welcomes everyone. We want to be a church that is thoughtful um, about where people are and we want to make it easy for them. And so hopefully in the not too distant future, I'm hoping that we can have like a Monday night, um, um, Monday night meeting that is similar, similar to this so that people will be like, wow, this is made with me in mind. Even if it's a small group, even if it literally is just 10 people, 10 people are worth doing something for. And the final group of people that I hope um, that our church can minister to are people with disabilities. Um, one in seven Australians have a disability. And out of that, I think one in three people with disabilities is a major issue, like a major disability. But we don't actually see that in our churches represented. Like, I don't think we actually see the numbers, you know, show up. And it's, it's, it's when I found out how many people, it's, like, it's kind of mind-blowing that there aren't more of these people in our midst. One in seven. Jesus says that we should leave the 99 for the one. Shouldn't we leave the six for the one? But all this cannot be done if we are not a community that decides to commit. If it's about us and our convenience and our comfort, we cannot live out the great commission that God has called us to. And so we don't want to be a church that is just going to try to do everything for all of us. But we want to be a church that thinks, okay, hey, how can we actually make a difference in all these communities? Because not just because there's a sizable chunk, which is, you know, huge, but because these people matter to God. These people matter to God. And so I have all these big dreams and big visions um, that I feel like God has called our, our church to do but we need all of us to be all in. And once again, we're not trying to go for slick. And so we're not ever going to be like, oh, we need a three hour pack up and set up time. Like that's not what we're going for. Um, but we need all of us to be available and all of us to be here, um, to be thoughtful. And, and then we see the outcome of the kind of community that God has brought together. The outcome was they did experience signs and wonders that they had glad and sincere hearts, that they enjoyed the favor of all people, and that Lord, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I really believe that if we aspire to be like the church in the book of Acts, that we would experience what they experienced, you know, in, in our midst. So I'm going to get banned or whatever to bring us to a close. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Worship or whatever. <laughs> Miscellaneous. <laughs> um, you 
You know, the, one of the problems of like being a pastor for really long is that you forget that people can feel sometimes like, ooh, ooh, we good? <laughs> no, it's all good, it's all good. Whisper inside voice. <laughs> um, like we can often like just forget that sometimes messages are not encouraging. <laughs> sometimes it's like, oh, I'm discouraged. It's like, oh, I'm such a terrible human. I remember that, especially before I felt called to ministry. I was just like, man, I just don't love the... I just don't love God or people as much as God as, as the pastor does. It's just like, is it just more often? I'm just like, oh man, I'm not too sure if this is for me. But when you become a professional Christian, somehow you just forget that that is a very normal thing. But I was just reminded of that again as we talk about all of this. That often we can look at that and be like, oh, that's not about me. That's about someone else. That is about the person who reads their Bible every single day. That's the person who's you know is perfect, has a clean slate, nothing has gone wrong. And it's like, no, man. Like, Jesus chose people that no one would have expected. Jesus chose fishermen who are rough as guts. He chose religious zealots who were definitely like, you know, like being violent and doing crazy things. Text collectors who were, you know, like cheating people of money. Like, these were the people that God was using to be part of his ecclesia, which is very different from the world's ecclesia. The world's ecclesia was only the privileged people. Citizenship was not a guarantee. You could be a resident of Rome and doesn't mean that you'll be a citizen. Only about 10% of the people living in those days were citizens. Only citizens got to be a part of the ecclesia. So when there's all the citizenship language in scripture, it says you are a citizen, it is a privileged position. And only males could be a part of the ecclesia. You know, if, if you're a woman, I'm sorry, you're not qualified. But then that's why the Bible tells us that there's neither um, Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, neither male and female. It's trying to make a point that we all get to be a part of God's ecclesia, of what God is doing. That God chooses the ones who are not perfect, who hasn't lived an incredible, like, because that's how we know it's God and not us. It's not because any of us are amazing or whatever but it's because we found that God is amazing that He would use us and I believe that that's the kind of church that, that we're going to be that God is going to use people on the journey that we're going to be having people that might be struggling for years but they are struggling and stumbling towards God we don't want to be a community where people feel intimidated or overawed but people will come and be all, stand in awe of how good God is and that God would even use someone like us not just on our good days but on our worst days that God will love us and accept us that's the kind of church that I believe God wants us to be and that we can be and so right now I just you know I want to invite us to stand and as Lockie just leads us into one final chorus um, let us just meditate a little while on just some of the things that we may be struggling with in this message maybe some of us need to refocus our worship on God some of us might need to make more of effort to break bread with other people and some of us might be challenged to like I want to live on mission I want to help others and serve others more um, let's just take this time to just engage with God